0: As we continue on this morning, we'll be in Ruth chapter 3. Let me begin with prayer. Father, I pray for Grace Church this morning. Lord, I pray that whatever dark providences exist in the lives of these dear friends, Lord, that you would sustain them that you would comfort them, that you would strengthen them, that they could be at peace and endure until the day they can look back and see how graciously you have worked and how kindly you have cared for them. Father, I pray this morning that they Would meet with you as they hear your word. And Lord, I pray you would help me to express your word that these folks might hear you speak in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've been through three messages in Ruth. We're in chapter three. This Ruth is not a what is known as didactic, it is not. Teaching, As you would see in the New Testament epistles, it is a story and the story now continues. In the Hebrew culture, God in his wisdom and God in his kind mercy provided ways for those who were suffering or in trouble in Israel to be cared for. He gave the Israelites what is known as the year of Jubilee, where every seven years those who had to sell themselves into debt slavery were freed from their debt. With concern for widows and families, there is the concept of a leveret marriage. When a husband died, in order to continue the family name and heritage, the brother of the man who died would marry the widow so she could bear children, so that she could be cared for, and so that the family name would continue on, which was critical in the life of the the nation of Israel. This is the undercurrent of Ruth chapter 3. This narrator, we don't know who this author is but this narrator weaves a story for us that is both intriguing and faith building and it is a story of intrigue and romance this this chapter though is more than just a story of devotion and romance and fulfillment of Jewish rites between Boaz and Ruth, with Naomi in the background. While Boaz and Ruth do appear as the main characters, uh, a greater theme is once again being revealed to us, as it has in chapters 1 and 2. And that theme is the theme of God's faithfulness to us. To his people. And what we read about these two individuals in this story certainly does have some high drama. It is outstanding drama, far more interesting than Downton Abbey or something like that. Um, Behind this story is the greater backstory of God's Hesed. The word Hesed his loving kindness, his steadfast love, his covenant agreement, his graciousness, his gentleness. The word hesed isn't just defined with one word. It's a whole concept of God's love being expressed practically and tangibly to individuals, not just to a nation, but to people in people, particularly, specifically, it is a love story about the hesed of God even as we read this love story about Boaz and Ruth and it is a it is a love story of God's hesed to particularly Naomi, Ruth and Boaz and it's a delightful reminder to you this morning let it be a delightful reminder to you this morning that God is personally involved in your life that his hesed is personally given to you. That his hesed is personally spread over your life. When the story of Ruth was originally shared, it was actually done orally. It was a spoken story. It wasn't a written story. So those listening could not read ahead like you can. They would not know the end of the story and a good storyteller who would keep his listeners intrigued and in suspense and on the edge of their seats, which is exactly how this story is told, especially in this chapter. And it would have been much better if we had, if you only could see one chapter at a time as Devin and I told this story so that you wouldn't know the end, but you do know the end. But even still, as you know the end, let's let's see how what an exciting thing is going on in this this book. Now, chapter one traces for us the wonder of God's providence, both dark and bright. Chapter two, as we learned last week, goes further in showing us that nothing just happens in our lives. That everything that happens, just happens in our lives, is designed by God, is superintended by God, is a part of God's hesed, His covenant love and mercy to you in His providence being worked in to your lives. God is in everything and He is everywhere. And that means your life, God's providence is in everything. Sinclair Ferguson says this of Ruth chapter 2. He says, Ruth chapter 2 shows us how God's loyal love, his steadfastness, his grace, his desire to bring blessing at whatever expense to himself are all reflected in Boaz and Ruth. And that is what we will see extended even further in chapter 3. Now in chapter 3, the narrator displays for us the riches of God's grace and the transforming effect it has upon our lives and upon the lives of those it touches. And so what we're going to see in Ruth 3 this morning are what I think are three dramatic scenes. And the first one, the first dramatic scene, if you want a title to the message, Chris, here's your title to the message. Midnight Grace. Midnight Grace. The first scene, Ruth 3, 1 through 5. Let me read that. Starting in verse 1. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? And she replied, All that you say, I will do. Scene one is this. I entitle it, Naomi's Plotting. (laughs) Naomi's Plotting. Naomi is scheming at this moment. Naomi is, as we see, really, she's back to her old ways. She hasn't changed much. She is scheming to find a husband for Ruth. She still cannot see that God has her life, has Ruth's life, has Boaz's life, and their human happiness in view. She cannot see that. Being in the story as she is she does not see god's sovereign purposes because she's in the story she's not having the 35,000 foot view looking down and saying oh this is how it all ends i guess i shouldn't be doing this no she's she's plotting she's trying to make something happen and she is doing everything she can to help god's providence along Verse 1, there is genuine concern for Naomi. Naomi's mother-in-law said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Now, those are familiar words. If you remember back in in chapter 1, Naomi And Ruth and uh, Orpah are leaving Moab to go back to Bethlehem because they heard that God was again visiting his people and providing food. And so they, they were moving back. They were going and partway on the journey back to Bethlehem, Ruth, uh, Naomi stops and says to Ruth and, and Orpah, her two daughters-in-law, who are, who are foreigners, who are Moabites. They're not, they're not Jewish. And she says to them, look, and this is what she says in, in verse 8. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead, her, young, her sons, and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. And so in verse 1 of chapter 3, we're seeing Naomi, in a sense, repeat her desire. And that was a good desire she had for them. She wanted them to find rest. She wanted them to find husbands. So it's a genuine concern for their welfare. She wants them at rest. In her mind, rest, for these two women, or now for Ruth, to find rest, is to have a husband who will care for her, and children who will carry on her husband's name. And Ruth is young and very much in need of a husband. But in verses 2 through 5, we see Naomi taking matters into her own hands. Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies and then go and uncover his feet and lie down and he will tell you what to do. So Ruth is willing to obey Naomi and Naomi comes up with this amazing Scheme this amazing plan. She, rather than trusting God, decides that she's going to work out all things for good. And she, she plots her way to get what she wants, which is a continuation of her family name. She crafts this evening. Now, understand, Naomi and Ruth have now been in Bethlehem about two months. they came just as the barley harvest began, and now the barley harvest is over, and it has been about two months so So Ruth has had this relationship with Boaz for a few months now. Naomi knows what is going on here, and uh, th- i mean from ruth uh, from naomi 's perspective you 've got to think here is ruth she 's in bethlehem she 's a foreigner. Uh, she's a Moabite, which they were not w- respected in Jerusalem, and so you know a good husband for a young girl like this is kind of hard to find. How are you going to find it among the the Jewish men of of Bethlehem, especially for a foreigner? I mean, she can't put an ad in the Bethlehem Times: Moabite woman looking for wealthy husband, lots of land. That's that wasn't that wasn't going to exactly work. I, I, I read a. I read a, an ad once that somebody had, was, was highlighting. It said, Farmer with 100 acres seeking young woman with tractor to be his wife. Please send photograph of tractor. <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is Naomi and Ruth's dilemma. Is there somebody who would actually marry her? So Naomi determines that Boaz is the answer. He's a relative. Now, here's, here's what we, we understand we, as we we'll go further down. He is a relative. He is, but as we learn, he is not in verses, um, in chapter 2, verse 20, we learn something about him. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he, speaking of Boaz, be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. Remember the leveret marriage. Boaz is one of the redeemers, but as we learn later in chapter 3, he's not the closest redeemer. But Ruth has this relationship, and so Naomi doesn't care. She's just plotting hey, he's one of our relatives. So she goes after him. He's already been kind. And that word kind is the word hesed. So Boaz has expressed hesed to Ruth. And so tonight is the end of the harvest. You've gotten to know Boaz over these past two months. So wash, use some perfume, put on your good clothes, go to where he is working, watch as he celebrates, lie down on his feet and uncover his feet. Do this so we can get you married. That's Naomi's plan. God just happened to lead you into Boaz's field. This is a great plan, Naomi is thinking. What Naomi proposes, though, is incredibly risky. Incredibly risky, because it could turn out to be highly scandalous. A foreign woman laying down next to a Jewish unmarried man at night in the dark. Her suggestion is reckless. She is willing to put both Boaz and Ruth in a compromising place to get what she wants. Naomi is trying to shape the providence of God. And she is once again wrongly running ahead of God's providence. Sinclair Ferguson said this, Tremendous risk is involved in this scheme in which Naomi and Ruth participate. Risk to Ruth particularly. But there are also serious questions, unsettling questions, about the risk to which Naomi is prepared to expose Boaz." perfume, nighttime, good food and wine, the warm physical closeness of an attractive woman, what man could miss the apparent message? Some commentators, some scholars speculate, was there some was there more than just her laying down? Was Ruth trying to do more physically, which would create more of a scandal? Most commentators don't agree with that, but the ambiguity exists in the passage. So, scene one is this dramatic scene of Naomi's scheming and plotting to get Ruth married so that Naomi, knowing Ruth gets married, Naomi gets cared for. She has her family name continue on, she has provision for food and shelter. But there's a lesson of scene one. You see, Naomi interpreted God's providence in a way that made it fit into her plans. Rather than interpreting, letting God interpret his own providence, she tried to shape his providence. And when providence is, is dark, that can be our temptation. When providence is dark in our lives, we can try and shape providence into fitting into our plans, into ending this dark providence as quickly as possible. How do I stop what is happening? How can I turn this? How can I turn this to my good? But God does not want us to interpret providence on our own. He's given us His Word to do that. Lesson one from this first scene is let God interpret his providence, not you and I. Now, before we come down too hard on Naomi, the author does show us that she has some wisdom because in verse four, she says, but when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, then go and uncover his feet and lie down and he will tell you what to do. So Ruth's responsibility is to wait for Boaz to tell her what to do. Ha! doesn't always turn out that way. Scene number two, what I entitled Midnight Grace. Read with me verse six, starting in verse six. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain, something to protect his harvest, uh, uh, to be there just in case. So then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over. And behold, a woman lay at his feet. <clears throat> he said, "'Who are you?' <clears throat> and she answered, "'I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer.' And he said, "'May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, in, now, my daughter, do not fear.'" I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good. Let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until morning. So she lay at his feet. Until morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, Bring the garment that you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it out, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. And then she went into the city. Midnight grace. Everything happens. This is where God perplexes me. Everything happens just as Naomi planned. And I don't think it's because Naomi understood God's providence. I think God in his hesed, his mercy, allowed Naomi's plan because it was his plan. She just came under, just happened to come under his plan. Some scholars, as I said, speculate that maybe there was something more here um, Physically, But that's, I don't believe that's true. Um, and thinking that since Boaz was a kinsman redeemer, that was marginally acceptable. But that's not what happens. The narrator makes sure that we see what he previously told us in, in chapter 2 of verse 1. First, that Boaz is a worthy man. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And then we see in in chapter 3, in verse 11, And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask for my fellow townsmen. Know that you are a worthy woman. These are two godly people. Boaz and Ruth don't fall under all of Naomi's schemes. They are worthy. They are godly. They trust the Lord. They display their godly character. They honor and they fear the Lord. Even at the end of this this second section, she lays down at his feet until morning, but she arises before anyone could recognize her so that no scandal could be spread. And Boaz himself says, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. He wants to protect her, her reputation. They honor and fear God. And so Ruth has followed the plan perfectly. She, she goes in there. And when she sees him eating and drinking in verse 6 and 7, and his heart is merry, and he goes and he lays down, she softly comes and uncovers his feet. Now, what awakens Boaz? Because it says that he is startled. Midnight has come. Verse 8, at midnight the man was startled and turned over. Well, I think he was startled because his feet were cold. (laughs) Seriously, I think that's what awakened him. I don't think Ruth was there tickling the end of his feet. Maybe he'll wake up now. No, she uncovered his feet and his feet got cold. And so he, he I mean, it, it, it woke him up. And, and then here's where I, I love how the author writes his intent is to pique our, our interest in verse 8. And he says this at midnight, the man was startled and turned over. And he says this, and behold, <laughs> behold, a woman is there. Now, that is pretty much of. But, I mean, remember, you just read through Scripture, it says, Behold the Lord. Behold your... It, it's supposed to mean something important. And, and the author here is just saying, Look, this is not typical behavior. This is unusual stuff. This guy had a good meal, a couple of glasses of wine. He's feeling good. His harvest is in. He's doing well financially. He's laying down, just getting a good night's rest. And there's a woman at his feet. Now I don't know if that's ever happened to you. <laughs> but it would startle me. I can imagine just his... Who is she? It's dark. Where did she come from? Remember in, in verse, uh, verse 14... She lays down until morning, but arose before anyone could recognize one another. That's because it was so dark. So, so, I mean, Boaz had known Ruth now for two months. She'd been in his fields. The harvest is over, and yet it's so dark he cannot recognize her. But because Ruth is a wor- worthy woman, she does not leave Boaz hanging as to who she is and as to why she is there. She immediately tells him exactly why she's there. She says this. She answered in verse 9. He says, who are you? And She answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. What is she saying there? Well, this is an old-fashioned marriage proposal. She's asking, Ruth, she's asking Boaz to marry her. Guys, how many in here have done that? I want to spread my wings over you. Will you, will you marry me? It doesn't, that's not quite the language of our day, but that's the language of this day. And so this is Ruth's marriage proposal. In her proposal, in fact, she uses the very language that Boaz used a few months earlier when he blessed her with prayer in verse 12 of chapter (coughs) 2. The Lord, (coughs) excuse me. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Boaz is blessing Ruth. And he's saying, you've come. You've come to faith in the Lord. So now you will live under the God whose wings you can take refuge under. He prayed that she would be covered under the wings of God's refuge. And what he didn't realize was that he would be an answer to his own prayer. Now, imagine Boaz's shock. This woman is asking for him to marry her. It's midnight, he's been sleeping. He's awakened suddenly. There's a woman at his feet who identifies herself as someone that he has actually probably been smitten with. He likes Ruth, and she proposes. Now, what Ruth is asking is very countercultural. Women don't ask men to marry them in this culture. And now you've got a foreign woman asking Which makes it even worse. It's also bold because, as we see, Boaz, as we saw earlier, Boaz does not have the the leveret connection. He's not obligated. A brother-in-law under the the leveret connection, under leveret marriage, if excuse me, if my if, if the brother If the brother dies and the other brother then marries the woman, if that brother is unwilling to marry the woman, the woman actually had the right to go into the public square and shame him. She could shout out his name and shame him for not coming and marrying her because he was obligated. Boaz is not obligated. Boaz is not because, as we will see. If, look down in verse 11. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. I will marry you. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. Her, here, she's been in town two months. All that she's done for Naomi, her character, her godliness is displayed for all to see. And now the townspeople know she is a worthy woman. And so he's willing to marry her. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. In other words, I am part of the family. And I could be a redeemer, but I'm not obligated to be a redeemer. And and so he says, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Boaz responds kindly and nobly with a wonderful but subtle declaration of love. I will do all that you ask. But first, something else happen, has to happen. Now, this is, this is Boaz's nobility. He sees God's hand by once again blessing Ruth. May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter." She doesn't she, She's been so well treated by this man. And he expresses deep respect for her. For you are a worthy woman. She doesn't look to younger men. Look at verse, verse 10. You have made this last kindness greater than the first. Now the first is the way she treated Naomi and all the townspeople knew about it. But this last kindness is Boaz is an older man. I don't know what age older it has to be. I mean, I'm 61, so it's got to be older than that because I'm not old, so (laughs) it's definitely older. He's an older man, and and what he's saying here is, look, you could have run after the young man of the town. You do have a a well-known name. You are respected. You're a worthy woman. You're a young woman, assuming she was an attractive woman. She was a strong woman because she was carrying 30 pounds of barley back to Naomi. I mean, there were so many good qualities. In fact, what you might not be aware of, but that in the Hebrew Bible, the, after Ruth, the next book of the Hebrew Bible is Proverbs, where we read Proverbs 31 about the Proverbs 31 woman, which is an apt description of Ruth. She could have married any of the young men. And yet, she makes this kindness towards Boaz. And he sees it. He sees how kind she is. So, his gracious response, he goes on to calm her fears. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you will ask. Now, she is... She is being encouraged and blessed at this moment. And he has commended her for the godly woman that she is. And he wants to marry her. And this is, in my estimation, a significant demonstration of grace, of midnight grace. The grace of God. Two worthy people who God has worked in their lives. And God bringing all of these things together. Now, Ruth had, told, had been told by Naomi, do not say anything. He will tell you what to do. But the moment he wakes up startled, what does she do? <laughs> she tells him what to do. We're getting married. <laughs> and yet God again in his kind providence sees fit to fulfill the desires of her heart and to fulfill the desires of his heart. Now, in 12 and 13, the real intrigue comes. The, The narrator throws a difficulty into the mix. And now it is true in verse 12 that I am a redeemer. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives... I will redeem you. Lie down until morning. So it's midnight. This conversation has been going on for just a little bit. And Boaz is telling Ruth, now look, I want to redeem you. But there's someone who has first dibs. And it's not me. So we'll deal with it in the morning. So lie down and wait till morning. Now, imagine being Ruth at that moment. I just asked Boaz to marry me. And he's telling me that there's a reality of there could be some flunky in town who is everything I don't want in a husband, and he's got first rights here. Imagine Ruth's heart at that moment. Someone else is first in line. Will Boaz not be the one? Can she trust God in this moment? Can she trust Boaz? He says he'll take care of it in the morning, but oh, what a night that must have been for Ruth. What a night waiting. What an honorable man, though, Boaz is. Look at verse 14. So she lay down at his feet until morning. but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. So first of all, he protects her reputation. He, he doesn't, first of all, he doesn't allow her to go walking home at night. After she wakes up and he wakes up, she said, no, 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 he, go back to sleep, stay here. He had already made in, in chapter one, you know, there is, there are, Men out there that are not honorable men. And so stay here till morning. Don't leave. Let me protect you. Don't walk at home at night. But also let me protect you from scandaling. His kindness, his hesed doesn't end there. He makes sure she goes home once again well provided for. The hesed of God is revealed through the hesed, the mercy and kindness through Boaz. She's protected by Boaz physically and a reputation. She's blessed by Boaz. She's provided for because he gives her. Look, look at this in verse 15. And he said, bring the garment you are wearing. Now we're talking about a shawl. So she doesn't take off her, her garments. He, she has a shawl. And he says, bring the, this garment that you're wearing. And he measures out six measures of barley. And he put it on her. Now, from the study I've done all the scholars believe that that six measures of barley is about 80 pounds of barley. <laughs> and, and that's why I think it says here, and put it on her. Because she could not lift it up. And she had to walk back into town with 80 pounds of barley on her, on her back. So Boaz, in his honorable way, provides again for her and her mother-in-law, and he promises redemption. He promises marriage, even though he's not obligated. He's not. The other guy is, but he's not. And the narrator wants us to see in this passage a bigger picture. It's that God is never obligated to extend grace to us. God is under no legal obligation to redeem you and me. In fact, He is obligated to judge our sin. But in His hesed, His mercy, He makes a way for us in Christ to be redeemed. Lesson two of scene two is the author has painted another vivid picture of God's Hesed, his his merciful providence. And he wants us to be reminded that grace is always present in every providence, whether dark or bright. And this story in Ruth starts with a very dark providence but as the, the story progresses along, it's like, it's like the dawn. It's getting brighter and brighter. And now in chapter three, the sun is beginning to rise. The, the providence of God in its brightness is beginning to rise. We are not ones who God is obligated to redeem, and yet He does. Just as Boaz was not obligated, and yet he redeems Ruth, as we will see later. When we are in God's dark providence, we have to comfort ourselves with the unassailable truth of who God is, that he always acts in our best interest, and that grace is always there. It is always present, even when it is dark. And most importantly, God's providence always ends in our good. The end result of God's providence is always good. And it's good for us personally and specifically, not just corporately, but good for you as an individual. The third scene, what I call a gray providence, because this story is told orally. We don't know what's in chapter 4, so you may not read chapter 4 over this next week. You don't know what's in chapter 4, and we're still sitting with this problem. So she lay at his feet until morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, "'Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor.'" So he br- she brought out a garment, he held, she held it out, and he measured out six measures of barley, and he put it on her, and then she went into the city. So here's scene number three. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? She told, then told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. And so she's telling Ruth, Naomi is telling Ruth, listen, wait. Wait to see what Boaz will do. There is this kind of gray providence, How is it going to turn out? And if you're sitting there as this storyteller is telling this story, and he gets to the end of this chapter, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. At that moment, the the storyteller says, okay, lunch break. (laughs) Let's go get something to eat. And everybody's there going, no, 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 what happened? He says, no, 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 lunch break. And that's where we're going to stop today. We're going to stop at the lunch break, but we'll finish with this scene. She hears the whole story and the author wisely and slyly uses these words from Boaz spoken by Ruth to Naomi to tell Naomi something, to express to Naomi the grace and chesed and providence of God. Look at, look at verse 17. These six measures of barley he gave to me. For he said to me, you must not go back empty handed to your mother in law. Naomi, if you remember, in chapter one. Went out of Bethlehem with her husband and her two sons. She says, I left full but I came back empty. Ruth went out to the fields empty and came back full. And now Naomi is full once again. And God in his hesed, in his kind providence, in his grace, is speaking to Naomi through a redeemer who says, you're no longer empty. God's providence always works to the good for us at the end. The lesson of scene three is God has proven that he does not withhold good to those who belong to him. The Lord has provided food for Naomi, Naomi's hunger and rest for her because she is once again in the land of promise, but more importantly, under the wings, the shadow of God's wings. Will he withhold the one thing she lacks, which is the provision for the family name to go on? Oh, no, absolutely not. And we'll learn about that in chapter four, because right now we're at our lunch break. Now, the central verse in this passage as we close is actually earlier in verse 12. Turn there and and read this with me in verse 12. Boaz is speaking to Ruth, and he says this And now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet, yet, there is a redeemer nearer than I. Although Boaz was referring in the natural to Elimelech's closer relative, our narrator and our Lord has someone greater in mind. Ian Duguid said this, he says, all through the story, there has been a redeemer closer than Boaz, a redeemer for Naomi and Ruth, who has hovered in the shadows of the narrative behind all the human agents, reaching out to his beloved, but wandering sheep and showing them grace upon grace. Throughout the book of Ruth, God has hovered in the shadows, redeeming his dark providence for Naomi and Ruth and Boaz is good. In every dark providence in your life, I want you to know God hovers. He hovers in the shadows, caring for you personally and showing you hesed. Where else but in Jesus Christ does he most reveal his grace to you? Right there in the sun. And in the in the cross, that is a dark providence. You could be at the foot of the cross seeing Christ crucified and wonder, how could this be good? But he rose again. The light of the world shined again the dark providence of God became the dawning of a new age where else is the Hesed of God seen but most in his beloved son's death on the cross oh it is grace upon grace Brothers and sisters, we live in a fallen world, scarred and ravaged by sin, which often exacts a very painful price upon us. Imagine, though, how much more painful life could be if God were not daily hovering in the shadows of your life, pouring out grace, redeeming all for good in all the dark providences that you experience. And because of his love for you, They will always end in good. Father, thank you that even in dark providences, even when you are in the shadows, you are doing good to us. You are giving grace to us. Father, we are so grateful. Thank you for sending your son that we could see the providence of God so clearly displayed and the Hesed of God poured upon us. Lord, we're very grateful. Now, Father, I pray that you would bless these folks as they go today.